I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society, and today we have our final conversation with my friend and colleague, Dr. Stephanie Hampton Cradle, and today's conversation turned a little bit more personal as we both discussed our experiences in dealing with racial divide and growing up back in the 60s and 70s and possibly what is necessary for the country to heal itself, and it's called conversation. So let's listen in. But internally, we're afraid of each other. And that's that's the that's the thing that just boggles my mind is we are afraid of that. That's 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 a little cultural. Yeah. yeah. Well, I agree. So, yeah, that's a that's a little cultural, because when you think about the 60s where I lived in the south, um, I think there was always a fear. I lived in an area in the South where we had billboards that said, you know, hey, N-word, don't be caught here after dark. Um, and so that's that's been that's a that has been something that has been a part of the culture for a lot of people of color in this country, you know, during that time period. It's a fear of, you know, what will happen uh, to me? Will I go someplace where I'm not treated well, where I'm harmed? And I, I think as an, I believe I got beyond that. I mean, I don't, I, I got to the point where I didn't feel afraid, as afraid, you know, as I did when I was in the 60s and my parents, you know, coddled me and kept me very close and we couldn't go places and we didn't go to certain restaurants and we didn't stop and go to the bathroom in certain places. I, re I still remember those things, but I got beyond it. I'm trying to see how I should say this, but January the 6th, and I know this is not the topic, January the 6th made me more fearful because I, I, I was seeing something that cognitively I could not, I couldn't rationalize if that makes sense happening in our nation. I could not, I could not believe how dissonance in your head, this is not happening. And so I began to be more fearful. And I think what will it take for us to erase that so that the generation of people who saw that will get to the point where they don't hear that anymore or feel like that's something that could happen in their future? Well, that, that's a really good question. I think, yeah, I, I like you, I mean, I, I remember sitting and watching the events on TV of, of January 6th and being astonished that this could, this could absolutely happen in the United mm -hmm. States. And I think the thing that frightens me more than that is, because you can always say, well, it was a one-off. I mean, you can always, it's, it's, it's 9-11 tragic of the tragedy of 9-11. We could say that that was a one-off. I mean, cause it hasn't really happened since it, not, not to that extent. Um, so you, you can kind of dismiss it. I think my problem with, with January 6th is it has now been oh, almost three, well, three years, people still think it was okay. That's the problem mm -hmm. I have yeah. yes. that everybody can't look at that and say, there's something, what's wrong with this picture that you have people that say, oh no, they were patriots. Mm -hmm. They were, 
and and people that are defending them. Right. That's the group that scares me. As or as me and uh, Scott Gershow would say, those are the things that keep us up at night, mm-hmm. knowing right. that those people are still out there saying, "Oh yeah, well, right. you know, they were patriots. They were they were doing exactly what was supposed to happen." Yeah, and it's like, how do you get past that? I said, I said that 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 bothers me too. Yes, go ahead. I mean, it, it does. I mean, how many people of my age group? Are they ever Trumpers? You know, the 55 and older, the 60 and older, whenever you see the the rallies, actually really take a really good look at the audience. And it's mostly an older generation. Yeah. I mean, you've got some young people here, there and and everywhere else in there, of course, but it's mostly an older generation that should know better. I mean, I thought we were smarter than this. Obviously, I was. My thesis is completely wrong. We we weren't. We aren't smarter than this. And I. Those are the things that that concern me. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, you know, I I don't get it. Uh, I don't understand it. Like you said, you grew up in the South, and there were you know, it, it, you were you were of the age to remember those times. I grew up in the North. Um, I and you and I have talked right. about this before. There wasn't a single black child in my school of 500. There wasn't a single one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were in a, a city of 125,000, there were probably three black families. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was it. Um, so even in the North, in, in the state of New York, which so everybody seems to think is so liberal, uh, but it's it's not the liberal parts of the city. Upstate is not liberal. Upstate is very conservative. It was it, it, there was there was such a. I never realized, and I will say this, Stephanie. I never realized uh, that my parents were bigots until I went to college the first time, and I dated a girl of color. And she's a judge now. Uh, we, we still actually keep in contact every once in a while. Um, I never realized. I remember my mother saying, I can't accept this. And I always thought my parents were kind of liberal thinking. And they weren't. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely, uh, no. And even, yeah, you know, that, you think, at that time, I admit, you know, uh, I, you know, I was, uh, young, blonde, uh, as Caucasian as they get, you know, blue eyed German kid, uh, dating a girl of color. And uh, I think it was because we were both athletes and we liked each other a lot. And, you know, we had very similar interests and things like that. Uh, but her family was far more accepting than my family was. Which surprised mm-hmm. me. And her family's she was from she was from uh Tennessee. And it was just it was so surprising to me that her family was accepting of this. My family was not. And I've realized for the first time, I was probably 20 years old, my parents are bigots. So anybody that says that if your parents are bigots, you're gonna be a bigot, I could say that that's an incorrect thesis. 
because my parents, when I think back upon it, my parents were always bigots. I just, as a kid, never paid any attention to it. I, I never recognized it. it. It never came up. But I, I did uh, I did realize that when it happened. Do you think your parents were actually bigots or do you think your parents simply never had an opportunity to connect with, I mean, you live in an area that's very, you know, uh, homogenous, you know, everybody's alike. What are the odds that you had the ability to connect with a family of color to, you know, that you don't go to school with them. They don't work for you. You've never had an opportunity to learn and to grow and to connect with people who are not like you. And once that happens, then you begin to see some of the things that maybe you were fearful of or that you, you know, that you saw on television or some of the, the you know, the, the labels that you were, were taught are not correct. People don't have an opportunity to have their, their, their theories tested or, or, or even, you know, somebody to come and show, well, listen, this is who this person is like. When you went off to school, you said you, you didn't have any people of color yet, maybe five, couple of families in your neighborhood. But what happened when you went to college? Oh gosh. I mean, it was Villanova. I mean, a good Catholic school. I mean, in in the middle of Philadelphia, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was, and I, I would push back on, on and so that. You said you met, I heard you say, no, I'm, this, is, this is Coach Stephanie talking now. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, okay, so I would disagree with the idea that they didn't have the, opp- although, uh, yes, they didn't have the opportunity. However, my parents were always that, we were always like the same thing I used to tell all my daughters and my two sons. When you find somebody, make sure they take care of you. Make sure you're taking care of them. Make sure you're good to each other. There are no other requirements here. And that was the same speech that my father and my mother gave me. Except skin color. They never mentioned it, but obviously that was an issue. And my question always was, why is it? They wouldn't even, I mean, I remember we were, we were spring break. We were going to go. To, to my home in New York and no, the, there was no way. So we actually went to Tennessee, uh, with, with, with her family because my family absolutely, they simply would not. And to me, that was, uh, I mean, that was, that was, it was difficult. I mean, I could have seen me marrying that person. Of course, she eventually went to, went to a different, we both went to different schools and of course, long distance, yada, yada, yada. But, uh, uh, again, uh, I could, I could have seen me be extremely happy with that person, uh, her with me, who knows, you know, cause I'm, I'm a little eccentric anyway, but, uh, I mean, I, I mean, we had a great time and I have to admit being in Philadelphia was a great environment for it. It was not even in, in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. It was, I mean, it was, it was odd, but it wasn't taboo. It was, it wasn't as taboo as say in a small rural town in like Amish country of, of Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, you know, I had a similar situation when I was in, um, in elementary school. So, uh, you know, I went to a segregated school until I was in probably the fifth grade. Uh, in the South, 
Uh, and so I am, I'm, I, I turned 64 this year. So a 64 year old woman in this no country. No way. Yeah. I call fake <laughs> news. Yes way. Yeah. I call total fake <laughs> oh, news. Man. I'm not, you know what? I'm not and believing it. <laughs> that makes you, that makes you older I than I am. I'm 64, I turned 64. Yes. And, and so that meant I was, our schools were not integrated until I was in the fifth grade. And at that time, students came to my school. They mostly came from the Air Force base. Um, and that was the first time I, I, I had white students in my class. And I got to know them. They were my friends. I really, I still remember their names. And so if you're out there, Beverly Montague and Paul D'Addario, if you're out there, hey, you know, let's connect sometimes. <laughs> but um, I, those, are, those are two of my friends. And I often look them up on, on Facebook or the internet, trying to see if I can find them. But at the end, when they got ready to, you know, to leave, they were, they were leaving, they were, their families were deploying to another uh, Air Force base. And they invited me to their home for their for their going away um, party. I was so super excited. I wanted to go. I, I mean, I came home. I was telling my mom all about it. She was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> when it was time to go, she and my dad refused to let me go. I had told Beverly and Paul that I was coming to their party. My mom said, absolutely not. You are not going over there to that Air Force base to that party. And I I can remember thinking about how mean my parents were uh, for not letting me go. As I got older, I remember telling my, talking to my mother about that. And she said the word that um, I always try to, you know, bring up to people when we talk about the differences in people and prejudice and stereotypes. She said, we were afraid. Yeah, they were trying to protect you. That's right. She said, we were afraid. She said, we recognize that those people <laughs> on that Air Force base were living in an alternate kind of reality. They were on the base. They were used to diversity. They were used to inclusion. They were, um, they weren't, they weren't, they didn't understand the segregated environment and they had no problems coming to the school with us. We didn't have any problems with that. But mom said, these people in this town don't feel that way. And she felt like they were afraid that if we um, we went there, that if I went there, that I would have a problem, that something would happen to me, that I would be harmed in some way uh, because that would happen. I know was that fear um, real. Uh, I, I never at that time I thought it was. I didn't think it was. I thought it was. It was, it I was thought to they them. were being hypersensitive. It was, it was real to them. So, That's you know, right. Mark, we talked about the fact that I do genealogy studies. Yes. And in my genealogy studies, I recently came across a family member who lived about 20 minutes, 20 miles, well, 20 miles, 20 miles from here, from where I live in North Carolina. He lived in a town um, called Warrington, North Carolina. I'm looking up the, um, you know, I find his death certificate uh, on ancestry. I find his death certificate and the death certificate says death by multiple gunshot wounds to the chest, arms and legs. Death by lynch mob. And that was 1921. I was 
like, are you kidding me? No one had ever said anything to me about it. Um, no one had ever mentioned it. That history has was lost to me. Uh, and I, I said, I'm 60 something years old, 64 years old. And as I was sharing it with my family and saying reactions, no one really said that they, you know, they knew or had ever been told. But one of the reactions I got was, we don't want to hear about that. Please don't tell us anything else. Because I was reading newspaper articles to them, accounts, and they were like, please don't read any more to me. I don't want to hear anything more. I can't hear anything more about that. And I'm saying, why can't you hear it? You know, I... I lived in Germany for a while, uh, Mark, and every time I had a family member come to Germany, I took them to different locations in Germany, but we always went to Dachau. I wanted them to see. I wanted them to have their eyes open. I didn't want them to close their eyes and ignore it or or just want to wish it away. I wanted them to be open enough, heart, you know, and open their, their heart up to be hurt, to be wounded by it. But to, to and, and I felt like if I didn't show up to them, that it might happen again, they, that they would lose sight of what happened there. And I had family members who said, I'm not, members who said, who got, who went to the um, exhibit hall and stayed there, but would not walk with me down to where the, um, the, the ovens, you know, were, would not. And I right. said, I, I understand you, you're hurt. You, you can't take it. Your heart can't take this. But your head, somehow in your head, you have got to be willing to at least acknowledge that it those kinds of things that were maybe my mother never knew about that family member. But I just believe that her parents taught her her to keep her head down. You know, I think her parents taught her just to be just to, you know, chill out, don't make waves, because I come from a very non you know, you know, non-confrontational family. Don't make waves, turn the other cheek, let it go. You know, I, I could sing that song, you know, but that's kind of the family that I come from. Let let sleeping dogs lie. Don't stir up the, the stink or it'll smell bad. And, you know, and Don't so have- that's, and so I think that I have, I have a lot to say about a lot of topics, but I just haven't always felt like, is it time to stir it up until today? And I thought maybe I could just come out here and talk to you, Mark, and you we can stir up a little. <laughs> I hey, that that that's what I'm here for. And you know, you, you look at it. Sometimes it's it's survival. It's a survival technique. I'm sure that your ancestors, your parents, your grandparents, yeah, they probably took that attitude because that was a survival technique. That's at the time, and we have to remember it is not that time. It is not 1920 anymore. We should never go back to 1920 again. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are those in right. our in our society that want to go back to 1920, want to go back even farther than that, um, for whatever reason. Uh, and it, it to me, it's always it's always been very uh, disturbing. You always knew that those people existed. Uh, in 2016, they had their champion, and then. As I say, Pandora's box was opened, and once it's opened, it's tr- very hard to close it back up again and get all that back into Pandora's box. And it's it's extremely difficult, and it's um, these are the kind of conversations that have to happen. I mean, and these are the kind of conversations that people that that listen to this podcast actually come on to listen to the conversations where it's real. It's not. 
Um, this is this isn't something that was scripted or anything anything else. This is something that came from, you know, experiences and what we think. And you know what, Stephanie? Here's the deal. It's always time to open the can of worms. And I'm the logical one. And I will say, it a can of worms that is not opened is a can of dead worms. <laughs> You got to open those can of worms and not be afraid to do it. Mm. And, uh, again, love, you know, having, having the platform to do it is, is really good. We actually, uh, today we got our analytics. We're up to 200,000 subscribers, which is great. Uh, we're going to do a special when we get 250,000. Uh, but yeah, it, to me, it's, this is, this is what it's all about to be able to sit down with somebody and just talk. Stephanie, it has been absolutely a pleasure having you on, and we are definitely going to have you back on again so you can open up so many more cans of worms, because that's uh, that's what we're uh, that's what we're here for. A pleasure to just talk with you. It's helped me to talk it through with you, just to have someone to to engage in in some dialogue, so that I can you know wrap my mind around you know, what's happening in our world. But as long as we can have these conversations, as you said before, we're headed to a a really good place. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the JCIS, an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions for their fall 2023 edition. Call for papers information can be found in the description. The Phoenix Group, an independent research consortium offering solutions for social issues through multidisciplinary and unbiased research. And BH Conflict Resolution Services, a full-service dispute resolution firm offering expert and cost-effective mediation services to couples, groups, and businesses. BHCRS can be reached at www.bhcrs.com. We'd like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society podcast. Finally, PodKite, our analytical partners. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. If you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. We'd also like to remind everyone that the Nova Society podcast is now available on our new YouTube channel. We encourage everyone to check out the channel and like and subscribe. The link can be found in our description. Remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for Dr. Brooklyn Ann Weldon and all of us here at the Nova Society podcast, I'm Dr. Mark Bound. Be well, and we hope to see you again next time.